This is an ABC podcast. This is really great that they're doing this to help us out because it means that we can feed the sheep again and, and not have to sell them and keep them, so yeah. The Christmas spirit was strong in New South Wales today as farmers affected by recent flooding in the central west collected bales of donated hay at Forbes. We'll have that story soon. And in WA Southwest, a random act of kindness has meant pensioner wildlife carers who are overwhelmed by debt can keep protecting critters in need. It's a mission that's kept them busy for decades. We never even had time to go on a honeymoon when we got married. <laughs> we had three joeys in the bed between us. <laughs> That was the honeymoon. <laughs> I'm Alex Hyman and this is Australia Wide. We start in South Australia today, where the steadily rising waters of the Murray River are threatening communities with what is expected to be the second biggest flood emergency in the last 100 years. Over 1,000 properties are already inundated, a number that's expected to reach 4,000 by the end of the month. Our reporter Sophie Landau is in Renmark. She joins me now to give us the latest on this situation. Sophie, what does the latest news about the timing of the flood peak mean for people living in the Riverland? G'day, Alex. Yeah, well, it's quite interesting because, of course, before we were quite aware of what that peak would look like. It's still the same. It's that 190 to 220 gigalitres per day coming through. And we had a rough indication that that peak would be towards the end of December. But what we now know is a more specific timeline on exactly when that peak will be hitting each of the individual towns as that water slowly makes its way down the Murray. So for example, here in Renmark, where I am, um, that, that water's going to be hitting on Christmas Eve. That peak is projected to come on Christmas Eve around that time. So certainly a bit of a different look to the holidays as to what a lot of locals would have been thinking would they'd be spending their, their sort of Christmas season doing. Um, but a lot of them will be indeed preparing to manage whatever uh, impacts of that, that uh, flood uh, peak may have. And then, of course, it's going to take a couple of weeks to flow down the river and it won't be until around January 6th and 17th that it hits the Murray Bridge area. So, as we know, it is a slow-moving feast and it will take some time. But I've been chatting to locals and they say that this is the way that it's always been. Historically, with all of these big flood events, like the one we saw in 1931, which this flood event is now being likened to, and, of course, uh, 74 and all of the other flood events, um, we, we know that uh, it, it does take some time to travel down. I spoke with National Trust Chairperson for Renmark, Anne Ryan, who said that it's really typical for the water to take some time to flow down. From what I can recall, not me personally recalling, but from what you see from history, um, it takes a long time to come down. And like Lismore and all those poor buggers were flooded, flash flooded, but it was also told it takes about seven months for it to leave again. So that would impact for quite a while. That is Renmark National Trust Chairperson Anne Ryan there. And Sophie, are people there ready for the peak? 
Well, there's been a lot of preparation that's been going on over the last couple of weeks and months. Of course, there have been lots of those levees that have been reinforced and, and built even, and people themselves, uh, if they have been receiving those watch and act notices from the SES, they've been uh, starting to prepare those goods, make sure they've got their water, they've got their batteries, their torches, all of those things. And then, um, you know, if if they, they do come to a circumstance where they are being asked to evacuate, which has happened to a few of our our towns around the place, um, or rather a few of the a few communities, like um, then in that case, if people do find themselves without a place to go, the state government has a, up to five hundred beds for individuals and families to to utilise on any given night, uh, which they can pre book online, and that's for people who are finding themselves without anywhere else to go. So the state government and the SES is still saying to people, if you've got family, friends, anyone who can help you give you a place to stay, that's still uh, the first preference there. But that emergency housing is there to go if needed. And Sophie, are you hearing that people will be taking the state government up on that offer of emergency accommodation? Well, Alex, anecdotally, we've definitely heard that there are people in the community who are accessing that service and there are people who are in need of a place to go. So, yes, we have heard that there are people who are already taking up those emergency beds when they're needed. And this is a much slower situation than the other flood events that we've seen this year, like on the northern rivers of New South Wales. How long are the floodwaters expected to affect communities through uh, the Murray area of South Australia? Well, what we do know is that it's going to be a couple of months, certainly, uh, that we, we're we on this journey together. Um, what we've been hearing is that those levels are going to be sustained quite high during January and February. We're expecting it to be around that 150 gigalitres mark, um, so still substantially high. And that means that there will be some road access to people's houses that will be cut off. It means that some people will still be, I suppose, isolated to to access their homes. And in saying that, it could be quite a few months before things return to a, a normal that uh, we, we had before the, the high flow event. But um, what we do know is that we've certainly got a bit of a journey ahead, but uh, there's... You know, when things like this happen, especially around Christmas time, you see communities come together like nothing else. And I've certainly seen it. The SES volunteers have put blood, sweat and tears into into all of the work they've been doing so far. And just the community spirit is pretty high. So, um, yes, yeah, certainly we'll um, stay tuned into what uh, how, how the event unfolds from here. Sophie Landau is our reporter in the Riverlands. Sophie, look, all the very best for the days and weeks ahead there for you and the community, and we really appreciate you bringing us up to date here on Australia Wide. Thanks very much, Alex. You're listening to ABC Australia Wide. And you are with me, Alex Hyman. It's great to have your company. Let's head to New South Wales now, where the Christmas spirit has been strong today as farmers affected by recent flooding in the central west collected bales of donated hay in response to concerns that farmers were struggling to feed their livestock due to isolation and paddocks being damaged or underwater. Non-profit organisation Rural Aid organised the hay drop. Speaking to Rural Aid CEO John Walt Waters in New South Wales uh, Central West, reporter Hamish Cole has this story. Today we've got um, 
almost 700 bales of fodder representing about 500 tonnes um, and we're distributing that to 53 farmers from the local area here in Forbes but also out to Condobolin and um, surrounds and it's very much about um, recognising that the, the damage the floods does to pasture and the need to have um, fodder or feed for livestock given that the, typically the pastures have been deteriorated or destroyed so this this gives them that little bit of a, a helping hand until mother nature takes its course and gets that that pasture back to a fit and proper state and what do you think this is going to mean for farmers in the area i guess uh, a day like today does a couple of things one it's the the, the fodder for the livestock and that's important the other side of it is is bringing people together who've had that like experience of, of having to deal with the flood situation that um, has been really serious and significant. So we bring that, them together and they can catch up in a really relaxed way. They can share those stories of what they've experienced. They can rub shoulders with a, a counsellor from rural aid, not necessarily to have a counselling conversation here and now, but to maybe make a connection and if they need to into the future, they can reach out at no cost to a, a trained professional counsellor from rural aid. And that counsellor can can go on farm and have a conversation with them and we call that farm gate counselling on their property if that's the way they would like it to occur or we can have a have a chat with them over the phone but it's a, it's a, a great support because we really feel it's that mental um, well-being piece that emotional well-being piece that is often overlooked in situations like this. Rebecca Ellis our whole block is just nothing all the crop is gone and yeah, there's nothing for the sheep to eat. So yeah, this is really great that they're doing this to help us out, yeah. And you know, during the, the floods, what, what did that do to your, your property? Um, just, yeah, we had to move all the animals off and get them to a friend's block to put them on and um, just wiped everything. There's just, yeah, no green at all left, so. So for a day like today then, how important is that for, you, for your property? Very much so, because it means that we can feed the sheep again and, and not have to sell them and keep them, so yeah. Well, look, I, I think the Central West has, has arguably had the, the, the toughest time of, of this flood event. Um, the people of Forbes and surrounds have had multiple flood events in a very short period of time, so I'm sure each one of those takes a, a bit of a toll on people and, and, and a cumulative effect of, of multiple disasters um, makes it even more challenging to, to deal with it. And you know, with the amount of hay here, where's it, where's it all come from? Most of this, this hay's come from down around the, the Cobar region, so we've, we've been able to, to bring that into the, in, into the, the, the region here to, to help out um, these farming families at this time. And we'll, this is just hopefully the starting point of, of that long-term assistance that, that Rural Aid will be able to provide in not just the weeks ahead or the months ahead, but the years ahead. What are the challenges going to be in the next couple of months really for months and years for farmers oh look the, the, the challenges will no doubt be physical they'll be financial and they'll be emotional i have absolutely no doubt about that and there are still people who can't get off their places right now and they've been almost living in isolation for eight nine ten weeks so that in its own right is is challenging um, people are just trying to to salvage what they can of a crop that maybe had 
the potential to be one of their best crops on record. So to see that disappear in front of you is financially devastating and I'm sure it's also emotionally takes a toll. Um, livestock, we know that pastures, have, 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 it's almost like a, a drought in reverse. A flood comes through and basically um, kills pastures like a drought does. So it takes time for those things to recover. So there's all of those factors at play. And then it's just the, the time to, to replace infrastructure. It's the time just to, to deal with, with that situation. So recovery, um, it's, again, it's not weeks, it's not months, it's years. That was Rural Aid CEO John Walters ending that story from reporter Hamish Cole in a blowy central west New South Wales. And if you want to make a donation to Rural Aid, you can do so through the Buy a Bale campaign. You're listening to Australia Wide on ABC Radio. Getting into the housing market is no easy feat for first home buyers right now. One key issue is that cash offers are more attractive to sellers, which puts those with conditional finance on the back foot. To get around this, one employer on WA's South Coast came up with a unique model to support an employee to buy a home of their own from Esperance on WA's South Coast. Reporter Emily Smith has this story. To me and my little family, it's probably the best house in Esperance. <laughs> Janine Graham is making dinner. She chops herbs at a kitchen counter as two of her children, David and Daniel, chat in the lounge room. The scene might seem very ordinary, but Ms Graham never expected it to play out under her own roof. It's very exciting. It's almost unbelievable. How do you think it will change your future and your kids' future having a house? With my four children, they all got their own room at the moment, so they know that wherever they go or whatever, you know, their lives take them, they can all come, always come back home and they all, always have their own bed and their own room. It's always going to be there for them. Ms Graham, an Esperance Noongar and Naju woman, is a single mother of four living in Esperance on WA's south coast. She says it was only after meeting with a financial expert who visited her workplace that she realised home ownership may be within grasp. But even after being approved for a loan, it was difficult to find a house before it was snapped up by another buyer with a cash offer. That's where her employer, Esperance Dalyurak Native Title Aboriginal Corporation, came through with a unique model to support her. And we're so pleased for Janine and um, the board of Dalyurak is, is so excited to see um, a family achieve what she's achieved. Peter Bednell is the CEO of Esperance Dalyurak. When it was clear that, that the financiers were not able to move as quickly as, as the market expected, Dalyurak played a role in just bridging across the, the finance for, for the purchase. To get Ms Graham's house off the market and give her breathing room to finalise her loan, Esperance Dalyurak bought it before selling it to her, with settlement expected in the next few weeks. It's a big step for an organisation to take. But Mr Bednell says it's one solution to a problem he suspects is being felt all over Australia. So I think anyone who's interested in buying a home at the moment would realise it's a, it's a really hot market that, and the real estate agents I think would say that they see very few successful um, conditional offers, you know, so they're unconditional offers where people have the cash or already have the finance approval ready to go. And so um, it's it's not easy when, when there's so much demand and it's um, to 
to get an offer accepted with a due diligence period or with a subject to finance period that is long enough that enables prospective buyers like Janine to access social impact style finance providers. They're just not able to move with the market in a commercial way. He also says that facilitating the house purchase was in line with his organisation's commitment to improving the lives of Aboriginal people because asset ownership has such a large influence over prosperity. I think many of us um, would recognise that so much of our community is, is based for some about inherited wealth from our parents and, and grandparents. I don't think that that's necessarily a common story amongst First Nations communities. The removal from traditional lands, the, the forced relocation to reserves, the inability to own private property has seen that that, in, that intergenerational wealth through the family home is just not particularly commonplace. According to 2021 data, 42.3% of Aboriginal families who completed the census own their home, compared with 66% of the wider community. This sort of time and these sort of I guess post-COVID boom, people who are economically disadvantaged suffer the most because um, they they miss out potentially in, in, in the tight labour market. And then if they don't own a house, they miss out on the benefit of the asset prices going up. Kirsty Moore, the CEO of low-interest lender Indigenous Business Australia, agreed that current conditions made things difficult. I mean, we've seen unprecedented demands um, in the last financial year, so to 30 June 2022, we received over 7,000 expressions of interest. Now, we only pre-approved 600 applicants um, to go and find a house. But of the 60, 616 that were pre-approved, many of them took some time to find a suitable property. And the reason why they're struggling to find a suitable property, yes, as you say, there's issues around conditions and the fact that um, a non, an unconditional offer is going to be more attractive to a vendor, but also rising property prices in general and worsening affordability. So that lower level of disposable income is inevitably going to mean that you've got less money available to, to service a loan and therefore you can't put in as, a, as high an offer. Ms Graham says she often thought it was strange that few Aboriginal people owned their homes or land in Esperance despite achieving native title in 2014. tell you that it's yours, but it doesn't feel like it's yours. The feeling was exacerbated by her experience as a renter, where she said it often seemed she was bottom of the list. Yeah, it wasn't very nice. Single mum, four kids, Aboriginal you know, stereotypes out there. One time I was knocked back 10 times for 10 rentals. Although elements of the purchasing process were challenging, she says overcoming them was worth it. She now hopes to help other Aboriginal people make plans to also secure their own houses. I think I'll be in the best position to help my, my lot that's coming through here that has the same the thought, that same mentality that I had. Say, no, you can. Who told you you can't? You can. Don't let anyone tell you you can't because you can. That's Janine Graham ending that story from reporter Emily Smith in Esperance on the south coast of WA. And to read more about this story and others, you can head to the ABC News website uh, for an online article. You're listening to Australia Wide. on ABC Radio. 
And finally, we head to Yarloop in WA's southwest, where the local wildlife is in safe hands thanks to some very dedicated volunteers. Pensioners Morris and Sandra Stonehouse have been caring for wildlife for decades now. But after wrapping, racking up almost $4,000 worth of debt to keep the animals safe and fed, they had to face the tough reality that they may have to give it up. Reporter Zoe Keenan has this story. They couldn't keep any more. His mate died. Oh. And um, I don't know if it was a boy or girl or what, but it started fretting. They are pretty high for that. Some people brought it down to us. And... Hello. Hello, Bazza. I'm walking Hello. through Sandra and Maurice Stonehouse's property in Yarloop and Sandra's introducing me to their cheeky little rescue cockatoo, Barry. Hello. <laughs> How long you had him for? Um, about four, four the married now. pensioners are volunteer yeah. wildlife carers and, as you can gather, there's a lot going on at their house. It's about, I mean, a little 28, it's about 12 months old. I had all its feathers pulled out by the crows. They've got so countless birds, joeys, kangaroos, they've got a couple of emus and even a little pygmy possum. Sandra's husband, Maurice, has been doing this for as long as he can remember. I used to find a lot of dead birds with bands on. I used to collect them and I lost a lot of them, but one day I saw something, I think my mum saw something in the West Australian newspaper about you can hand the bands in so they know where the bird's been or where it's died. So I had a few of them and, and um, mm. someone in the museum wrote back to me and they even sent the little band back <laughs> so I could keep it. And apparently the bird I found dead come from the Arctic. You know, and I yeah. sort of got interested a bit more with it. What are the most sort of common reasons that you guys are taking in animals? You know, is it road oh, incidents? Most, is it people? Well, when it comes to the mammals, you know, like the roos and sometimes the bandicoots and the possums, they've either been hit on the road or the, the local dogs had them or... That, um, yeah, there's a lot of road stuff. When the fires are on, we'll flood out with burnt animals. I had to put a heck of a lot down. Despite every battle they've faced, the rising cost of living was almost the nail in the coffin. With his age, Maurice can no longer work to support the animals, and as retired pensioners, it's becoming almost impossible. What's the cost of like supplies and the food for all the animals out here? Pretty close to um, 480 something a month. The only reason we survive is fryers let me open an account. Um, our poor, the vet, Ninth Street vet, she sort of helps us pay things off. The couple racked up almost $4,000 worth of bills this year and they were forced to consider giving it all away. It was getting to the point where I wasn't paying my rates on time. I was sort of paying my, even the water and electricity off in in portions because luckily we're allowed to on the pension. We don't really drink, we don't smoke, we don't go out. Rare occasions we might buy fish and chips or something just to let our hair down but you know we, we never even had time to go on a honeymoon when we got married. <laughs> we had three joeys in the bed between us. <laughs> that was the honeymoon. <laughs> His daughter jumped online to try and source some financial help and their local community bank got wind of their struggles. They had a thing on the radio and they rang us up and the manager in Mandra came on air and said that 
is going to cover the full cost of our fryers bill. And we, we just about fell off our chairs because we just couldn't believe it. And so how much is that money gonna gonna help you guys now? Well, I'll put it this way. It was 3,800 that we didn't have. I've maxed my card out and that's a thousand. And as it is, the hot water system blew up and we've got a second hand one on there at the moment that's leaking. So that, that's how much it's helped us that we sort of couldn't even replace the hot water system. Thanks to the donation, the couple can keep helping animals for the foreseeable future. But Maurice worries about how much longer they can hold out for. The problem is, is uh, a lady by the name of Doreen, she used to be at Binning Up a Mile Up. She's gone to Bunbury. All the other ones are retired or given up. The problem we've had since Coverse is the increase in everything. We're buying in more than we can put out in finances. Mm. I used to do odd jobs, but I can't anymore, so. For now, though, he'll keep doing what he's poured his whole life into, caring for the Australian wildlife. It's like you're touching it. Oh, she'll get on your hand and that. Doesn't like Come on. Oh, 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 oh. oh no. Maurice Stonehouse there ending that report with Zoe Keenan in Yarloop in Western Australia. And that's Australia-wide for this year. Thanks to Asher Couch for production duties for the last few weeks. And a big thank you to our wonderful reporters for making a brilliant contribution to the show throughout the year, often in trying conditions. And a big thank you to you for tuning into the program. We will be back again with you on January 16th. We wish you a safe and happy Christmas and New Year and look forward to your company in 2023. I'm Alex Hyman. Cheerio. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.